Welcome to Notes from the Field, brought to you by Noeo Science. Hey, Will, how are you doing? Hello, sir. Well, how are you, Good. Gordon? I am doing well. Fantastic. So, I wanted to kick off a new topic today that's something that's big in biology circles. Uh, it's a phrase that many biologists use, and I wanted to explain it a little bit, but it's super important. Demystify it a bit. Demystify it, and then uh, give some of my favorite examples. Yeah. And the, the key little phrase is called gas exchange. And some of you are pretty familiar with the, that concept, especially if you've had some biology. So that word is, is pretty nice. It embodies a huge concept. It's nice and brief, mm-hmm. and it's um, it is it, it communicates a lot. But I need to explain some things. Yeah, the gases referred to in that word are CO two, carbon dioxide, and oxygen. O two, O two, and um, these are two gases that are exchanged a lot in uh, animals and plants, and sort of as an introduction to this concept, I wanted to talk about a very, very important process, many different areas in chemistry and in biology, and that is diffusion. Many of you, whether it's junior high or some science class, junior high, high school, uh, even college, you learn this definition, which Mm -hmm. is the what? What's the, the, do you have the, the denotation so the movement of particles from area of high concentration to an area of low, low concentration. concentration. And I give the pizza oven analogy. Okay. We have a big party going or playing volleyball outside and I pick on my students and I name them as the, as the culprits here. And one of the students is in charge of the pizza and okay. he's cooking up the pizza in the oven and he forgets about the pizza and he runs in and he realizes that he's burning the pizza. And so he opens up the oven and what pours out? Smoke particles right. leaving the oven, which is a high, high concentration, concentration of smoke, of smoke particles. particles, too. Yeah, and then out into the kitchen. Where it's a lower concentration. And then his mom wants them to be even lower concentrated in the house, and so they open up all the windows and doors, and diffusion and continues exactly. into the environment. My example of diffusion is, that's a very good one, by the way. <laughs> I, I talk about and, and how higher concentration makes diffusion go faster. Yeah. So like the smoky oven, super high concentration, and then everything else low, it diffuses faster. My example is if some woman puts on perfume mm-hmm. in great quantities, in a sense, her perfume application MO is baptistic. <laughs> uh, she believes in total immersion. And there's oh, a real- that's good. Mm, there's a- <laughs> A high, high, high concentration of perfume on her person and everywhere else low. And the higher the concentration, the faster the diffusion rate. And sometimes it can bowl you over. Yeah. But if it's very, very small concentration, like from the somewhat smoky house to the outside, uh, the diffusion rate's going to be slower. Yeah. That's called the gradient. The gradient. And I also use the example of how, what does balls roll from? On a hill, balls roll from high to low elevation. Mm-hmm. That's same helpful. way. 
particles go from high to low. The steeper the hill, the faster the ball rolls. Oh, yeah, that's good. And if it's a shallow grade on the hill, Mm -hmm. it'll roll slower. So it's the same with concentration. Now, the cool thing about oxygen, this is a little less intuitive because um, normally if you have a slope, everything, balls, pebbles, everything rolls the same direction. Mm -hmm. But in gas exchange, it's really, really cool because you can have two gases going in opposite directions. Isn't that something? That is amazing. If they're going in opposite directions because they are following their concentration, concentration gradient. gradient. So if you've yeah. got blood, let's say the blood is low concentration of oxygen and it's running through your lungs and the air sac in the lung is called an alveolus and it's high concentration of oxygen, it's going to go from high to low from the air sac to the blood. Mm-hmm. But then the carbon dioxide is high in the blood mm-hmm. and goes from the blood to the air sac. So you got two different gases running in opposite directions. It's kind of that like- That really a, is phenomenal. It is. It, it's amazing. It's kind of like people getting on and off a bus, except usually you have to wait for all the people to get off and get on like, or in like a, uh, one of those shuttles at, at the airport, you yeah. have to wait for everybody to get off and then get on. Mm-hmm. That's sort of a people exchange. Yeah. But in this case, you've got two, the doors are big enough so that people are flowing out, people are flowing in. That's people exchange. And it's the same thing with uh, the gas exchange. And it's, a, it's just a remarkable natural phenomenon yeah, that occurs in living and non-living And systems. it doesn't require any energy. Right. Because they're both going with the gradient, there's no energy needed. They're going in the direction of their concentration gradient. Yes. So how that works itself out in all sorts of organisms is just fascinating. Mm. And so um, I guess we can just start off with a, a normal, you know, the, one of the most, I mentioned the, the common gas exchange surface area, which is the inside of your lung. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess I can just start there, sort of the typical, and then we'll springboard from there to some really unusual ones. But yeah, I just mentioned you and when, whether it's a mammal or a bird or a reptile, they breathe, there's some differences there, but Mm -hmm. they breathe in the oxygen rich air into their air sacs inside their lungs, lots of little microscopic air sacs. And that high concentration of oxygen diffuses into the bloodstream, running through little capillaries running around the air sacs. And the CO2 from, from the tissues goes into the blood and comes out and switches places. And, we, and, we and, exhale then we ex- and then we exhale. Yeah. So that's your typical. And we, you can get into the anatomy, you know. The, you inhale through the trachea and then it branches into the bronchi and then the bronchi uh, branches in the bronchioles and so on, all the way down to the little teeny air sacs called the alveoli or alveoli, depending on how you want to pronounce that. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a typical, but go ahead. Well, I was, I was thinking, and, and maybe you have this on your plan, but I was thinking, uh, how about fish? Were you oh, yeah. going to approach them differently or were you going to? Or they're kind of a similar, similar to yeah. what you just described, except they have gills. They have gills. So they're, basically, but the same process is at work. Right. You've got these gills instead of alveoli, which are the uh, little air sacs, 
uh, you've got you've got blood running through these uh, little gill filaments mm-hmm. that are high concentration of CO2. Yeah. They're and getting that waste product out too. And instead of having alveoli, what the fish does is just open its mouth and let oxygenated water. Pass right over those gill filaments. Yep. Right yeah. over the, right through the, the mouth and then into the opercular chamber. Yeah. With, you know, those flaps on the side of the, the uh, fishes. Where you stick your finger to yeah. hold up that prize catch. Yeah. The opercular. Or, yeah. Hook, hook them onto your. Stringer there. Stringer. Uh, that operculum under those are the gill filaments. And so as the fresh oxygenated water flows over them, oxygen from the water following their gradient diffuses into diffuses into the bloodstream inside the gill filaments. Yeah. So you've got these it's gill amazing. filaments are very, very thin and there's little capillary beds running through the gill filaments. And then the oxygen from the water goes into the gill filaments and the CO2 from their cellular respiration flows out. Flows out. And it's just uh, In the amazing. direction of its concentration. So it's gradient. the same exact principle, except instead of a lung, it's a gill. Yeah. And one of the, one of the concepts that I riff on a lot in, in biology is this idea of surface area, mm. right? And, so in, 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 and it's applicable in so many different types of phenomena, not just gas exchange, but gas exchange is a great illustration. Mm-hmm. You're going to maximize your gas exchange if you increase surface area. And so those little clusters of alveoli, they're, they have maximized surface area. They're round. Mm-hmm. They have a whole bunch of surface area for gases to diffuse in and out of them. Yeah. And gills, uh, those feathery gills are just, uh, think, about, think about maximizing a, a coastline, for example. If you go someplace with the, mm-hmm. with the most complicated, intricate coastline. Like Norway. Like, yeah, like the fjords the, of Norway. Uh, or the, I don't know if they're called fjords in British Columbia, but similar yeah, to they the are. Fjord. They are? Yeah. No, that's a great example. And so it's you a, have- a lot a, of shoreline. It's a smaller out, geographic area, but it's tons of winding shoreline. And so right. maximization of, of surface area means you're going to maximize gas exchange. Exactly. And that's going to just make that creature more efficient and better at what it does. I think I, I, I'm sometimes bad at memorizing these little bits of trivia, but uh, the little Not air sacs. Not as bad as I. Well, the little, <laughs> little air sacs in your lung, I think there's 150 million air sacs per lung. Wow. So you've got lots of those little air sacs that provide lots of surface area that really add up. If you uh, lay out, I've, there's another, you know, somebody can figure out how many square feet of surface area yeah. are in the lungs. I, I forget that piece of trivia too, but it's just amazing. And so what you're doing is your heart pumps deoxygenated blood from your heart up the pulmonary trunk and pulmonos means lung. So pulmonary trunk, then it splits into the right and left and goes to the both lungs. And then it splits those, those uh, pulmonary arteries split, split, and split. Until finally they break into little capillaries running around all of those alveoli so they can do the gas exchange. Awesome. It's just great. And then once it picks up the oxygen, it flows back to the lungs to get repumped to the body. But the cool thing about the gills is that in anything that has gills, whether it's fish or mollusks, salam, well, I know for salamanders, I'm marine snails. Maybe. Yeah, the for those guys too, but anything with the the gills, when they pick up the oxygen, the heart will pump 
to the gills, instead of going back to the heart to get repumped, it just goes from gills to the tissues of the body and does yes. one cycle. Yeah. Um, heart, gills, then to the body, then back to the heart. Whereas in a lung, it's to the lungs, gets the oxygen back to the heart, then pumped. Yeah. To the body. Then it comes back to the heart. So you've got in mammals and birds and reptiles, you've got this double, double circuit. Yeah. No, that's an interesting point. Um, when, when we do our fish dissections, I'm always amazed. And this is a speculation. So correct me if I'm wrong, or, or maybe you, you have some different info here. Uh, the, the fish of the heart is tiny. And so I assume that one of the engineering design principles that the Lord is considering here is that the gills can't handle a lot of pressure. Right. Uh, they're, right. they're way too sensitive. You're exactly right. Yeah. Because, you know, pumping, well, the, the thin layers that are for the pulmonary circuit of the blood going from the heart to the lungs, back to the heart, that's not as high pressures to the body and back. But the gills, yeah, they, they, I'm not sure of the pressure there, but I would, I would think it's a pretty low, low pressure that, you know, you don't want to rupture those blood vessels right. in the gills. Yeah. But it also has to keep going. Right. To feed the body. So, yeah. yeah. So, so then the next question then is for our, for our listeners there, what is the part of the plant with the most surface area? Oh, 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 Mr. Yeah, Boy, you I there. know, you I there know. in the front row, Johnny. Uh, the leaves? <laughs> hey, good job. The leaves. That's exactly right. And so those leaves are, oh, they're just designed so well. Mm -hmm. uh, and they, they have maximized surface area. Of course, in, in needle trees, you know, not nearly as much uh, surface area as in broadleaf trees. But broadleaf trees are kind of the best example of right. maximized surface area. And, so, and they're maximized for, for lots of different reasons. One of those is gas exchange. Mm -hmm. And so the, uh, the way I like to describe leaves, and we might've talked about this a little bit yeah, already. Yeah, when we talked about photosynthesis, yeah. we, we mentioned it. I like to think of as the, the leaf is kind of like a two-story house. And on mm -hmm. the top surface, the top surface is where all of the, uh, where all of the, um, oh, I Palisade? Just, yeah, well, I was just going to oh, say, that that's kind of where the cook, that's kind of where the cooking is done. The kitchen's on the top, right? That's where the food is made. Or that's at least Most where the sunlight is received, the yeah, majority the of it. The palisade mesophyll at the top of the leaf, but yeah. the top half is higher concentration of chloroplasts. Right. And so you've got most of your, most of your, um, your it's closer cooking, to the sun too. It's closer to the sun. You got most of your cooking up there and down in the basement. I can't remember. I'm, I'm, I'm losing my analogy as we keep going here. Um, you've got, you've got most of the of the gas exchange occurring on the bottom side of right. the leaf. And so and the, that, maybe the breathing, the breathing of the house, that's a terrible analogy, but the, the breathing occurs on the bottom and the, right. and the food but making there's up a top. But there's a reason for that because yeah. it's going to be cooking up there. It's going to be hot. Hotter. And when you have a hotter surface on the top side, if you had that little openings called. Stomata. Stomata. That's Love plural. That or. Stomates. Stomates, uh, anglicized version of stomata. Yeah. If you've got them up there, there's going to be more evaporation or right. transpiration of water when they open up the stomates. I say stomates because it's easier, but stomata sounds better. Yeah. When they open up the stomates, the, there's going to be more evaporation because it's warmer up there. Yeah. 
So it's more consistent. It's yeah, but it's more consistent the, climate on the, cool, on the underside. On the underside, it's shadier. Yep. And uh, and so you open up your stomates, little less uh, evaporation out the stomates there. Plus, you can bring in your CO two. This is the difference. We we're sucking in oxygen. We want oxygen in because we need it for respiration. The plants are making oxygen. Yeah. And so they're sort of not the word exhale, but they're exhaling to just use the term. Yeah. Exhaling oxygen out their stomates and bringing in. They're bringing in CO2. Are they, do plants, do they have a net need for more O2 or do they produce enough uh, during that, photosynthesis? That I don't know. They do produce a lot of O2 yeah. during photosynthesis, which I'm sure some of it is used when they do respiration because they do have mitochondria. They need to make ATP just like animals do. Yeah. It's just they get to make their own food. So they can make their sugars, then they can build with their sugars or yeah. burn their sugars. Plants are amazing. They're kind of like a, multi- an autonomous, uh, yeah. you know, independent business, which is going to not only produce the widget, but they're going to have the raw materials Right there in-house as well. To bur- burn for fuel right. to do all of their processes. So they're really uh, self-contained. We're dependent on plants. We really are. You know, the plants are sort of dependent on us. It's a nice cycle because we're, we're, we're exhaling CO2, yep. which is a waste product, but then plants use it. And it really, it, right, for us, it really is a waste product. We can't use it. And in fact, if we're exposed to too, mu- too high a concentration, it can kill us. Right. So, yeah. and then the plants are producing oxygen, which we use yep. to help burn our fuel. So it's just a wonderful arrangement. Photosynthesis, if you look at the general equation, is the exact opposite of the cellular respiration. Yeah. And it's just really cool. But uh, yeah, so there's your gas exchange in plants through the stomates. The stomates, uh, are they only on leaves, Will? I don't believe they're only on leaves, but please do, please do follow me up. They, they are on stems. Okay. They are on stems, but only um, your stomates are on more herbaceous, wo- herbaceous stems. stems. Yeah. Herbaceous stems means nice non-woody plants. Yep. So whether it's a, you know, anything that's sort of a green stem. Grass or dandelion gra- or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Anything or house plants that don't have bark, they will have stomates on uh on the is it a good is it a good kind of rule of thumb that is if there's some green present that photosynthesis is taking place and probably so is some gas exchange there's probably going to be some stomates now yeah. on bark um there's gas exchange since it's um barky and that is impermeable to gases right because of the cork and the subarin um which is a hydrophobic chemical that's in it's in the cork type cells on the bark, hmm. you'll see on stems, especially young stems with a young, um, nice shiny bark, not the real cr- cracky bark, but yeah. the it's kind of a young thin bark. You'll see these little little dimples all over it. Yeah, and those are called lenticels. Lenticels, and there's some gas exchange That's there. That's where the gas exchange. Occurs. And certain trees have more. Yeah, so. You know, if you got a bark, you can't have stomates, te- right? Technically, so you have lenticels, and um, actually, there might be a stomate. I 
recall, I think there's a stomate sort of at the bottom of the lenticel. The lenticel is just as big, uh, well, at the microscopic level, it's this big area that is that allows air through the bark. Okay. So that it can get access to the little opening right right up against the the living tissues of the plant. Gotcha. So yeah, it's uh, gas exchange is really great. What are some other, what are some weird varieties or, or variations on this theme? Well, here, you know, we've talked about lungs, we've talked about, pl- and gills, mm-hmm. but there's, uh, you know, herps, herps rule and lots of variety yeah. uh, of gas exchange. Okay. I have to just tell you, Will, that birds just don't, you know, I mean, actually, bird, I deserve bird, this. bird lungs are amazing. They are. And so even though it's just lungs for birds, herps have- they are they're amazing but herps are a lot more diverse in the way they do gas exchange so and they have backup plan upon backup plan yeah so with frogs uh the larval frogs are called tadpoles and at in the early stages of uh tadpoles there's this little finger like gills that stick out sort of in the neck region mm-hmm. between the the body or the head and the the tail, and they're sort of where the gills you would expect to be, uh, but they're sticking out, and they do gas exchange uh, similar to the. There's blood being pumped up, deoxygenated blood's going up those filaments, and they're just little finger like like miniature rubber glove filaments, you know, little yeah. fingers of rubber gloves, really really tiny, but oxygen diffuses in, CO2 diffuses out, so we sort of got the the. Um, the gill thing going, but other uh, amphibians, the adults, they have this wet, slimy skin. Yeah. And that skin is so thin. I mean, ours is thick. We've got lots of dead layers of uh, skin, but frogs have a slimy skin. Salamanders will have a, most of them have a slimy skin. And that is so that the skin itself is a gas exchange surface area. Amazing. It is amazing. So they'll, uh, their heart will pump blood up to the skin. And this is called cutaneous respiration, uh, where the blood is going through the skin. And since it's wet and moist, oxygen can diffuse right into that mucus uh, covered skin and diffuse right through the few layers of cells and right into the bloodstream. Wow. So that's really Great. Salamanders do have lungs, well, at least most of them do. Except the plethodontids. Exactly. The plethodontids are called lungless salamanders, so they have to breathe, you know. The, the skin, skin is primary for those guys. And they can also add to their breathing uh, through their mouth lining as well as their uh, lining of their cloaca, which is the, wow. the, the vent. The cloaca is basically the, the common chamber exit where. Yeah waste urine and reproductive products leave yeah. the body sort of a all purpose all purpose opening yeah. in the in the bottom of the salamander and so they can actually pull water in to the cloaca and uh extract the oxygen extract the oxygen wow. you use their cloaca as sort of a gill are there are there, there the parts too. of the body and you're kind of getting at that now are there parts of the skin that take in more oxygen in say a salamander than others yeah, it depends on the species. Okay. So 
what's really neat is there's this um, one big salamander in the east called the hellbender. Hellbender. I've never caught one. I've never to, seen so one bad. in the wild. I know. We've looked for You them. haven't seen them in the wild either? No, we looked for them and I've come real close. If I have a, if I oh, have a, a species that's been a, that I want on my list in the herp oh, world, that's, that's it's a, the hellbender. Yeah, me too. That's uh, on my bucket list. Absolutely. I'd love to put one in a bucket. <laughs> and then put them yeah. on my list. Yes. So the hellbender has very wrinkly skin. They're a big salamander. And they live in fast-flowing, highly oxygenated streams in the east, southeast of the United States. Yeah. And their, their, their folds of the skin make for, just like the shoreline of Norway, uh, oh, make yeah. a lot of, they're, so they're really wrinkly and sort of makes them look a little ugly. Mm-hmm. But- Like uh, they could that bend makes, hell. Yeah. The, they, they, make the, they make those folds of skin so that they have more surface area. For the oxygen to diffuse in and the, but if they're sitting there on the stream bottom and it's in a back eddy where there's not a whole lot of movement, Mm -hmm. if they're just sitting still, then when the oxygen diffuses in and the CO2 diffuses out and the water is stagnant, then, then it's harder for them. The, the concentration gradient is not as steep getting and too so, close to equilibrium there. so uh, yeah so what they do is they move their body from side to side and stir up the water and then they can actually flap the wrinkles and that stirs the water so that their the folds of skin are constantly being exposed to a new batch of water so they can keep that keep fresh water flowing over over the skin that is cool it's just so so cool uh, do you have any idea why they're called hellbenders? I have no idea. I really, you know, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for the, and I'm sure Nate and those guys will talk about this, probably already have, for all the, the wordsmithing and fun names of things in the southern parts of our country. There's just oh, yeah. some great names yeah. of creatures. And hellbenders <laughs> belong to the um, the same family as the giant Asiatic salamander. Okay. The giant Japanese salamander. Yeah, and I've the seen some video of those Chinese guys. Salamander. Those guys are huge. Yeah. I mean, they make a hellbender look small and hellbenders can get up into the upper teen inches long. Goodness. Yeah. I mean, that's that's as big as a bearded dragon I have right now in my, yeah. in my yeah. office. And that's yeah. far larger than what we call giant salamanders here in the West. Yeah, these, our giant really salamanders giant. can get maybe 12, 13 inches at best. Yeah. Tigers and- Idaho yeah. Giants. So cool. uh, any last, I have maybe one more, but Do it. we're running out of time. Yeah. But, uh, no, I, uh, let's, let's hear oh, it. Oh, well, a lot of people think reptiles don't breathe through their skin because they got scales and right? stuff like that. But uh, one thing I've learned as I've studied a lot of biology is never say never and never say always. Yes. Um, you just, <laughs> that is the there's truth. always exceptions because that is the truth. there's a lot of reptiles that have um, reduced uh, scales in certain areas and well, sea snakes, sea snakes are totally covered with scales, but they do a lot of breathing through their skin. That's why they can stay down for so long. Mm. So don't, yeah. Reptiles do breathe through their skin. Some of them, not not all. Do those sea snakes is are the gases just diffusing where the scales overlap? You know, I'm not exactly sure where it's diffusing. I'm assuming it's between scales because scales yeah. are thicker. But also, turtles will can be underwater all winter long, and they're reptiles, and they're using their mouth 
the cold, cold winter water will be so chilled and chilled water holds a lot of oxygen. Mm -hmm. Plus chilled water causes their metabolism to go way, way, way down. So their metabolic demand is very low and the oxygen is relatively high. And so all they have to do is just sit on the bottom and suck air, uh, suck water into their mouth, use their mouth lining as a a gas exchange surface. And sometimes they're sucking water up their bottom, uh, up into their cloaca. And they're doing that there too. Not just salamanders, but also turtles will, um, will have high surface area bursi inside their cloaca. Wow. Will do, that's just. That's phenomenal. But the, the last thing I was going to say, I should go into insect because insects just, they just take it to another level because instead of having lungs or gill, well, they do have gills, but let's just go instead of lungs, like a normal terrestrial insect, a terrestrial insect, you know, we have a trachea and bronchi and so on. And we, we branch it down and bring the air into our lungs. But what an insect does is they've got holes in their thorax and their abdomen. They're perforated. They're perforated with these little holes called spiracles. And they suck air into those spiracles into a tracheal system, so similar to the word trachea. It is like trachea yeah. in our uh, yeah. windpipe. Yeah. And it's a tracheal system. And that tracheal system goes through their whole body and feeds atmospheric oxygen to all of their tissues directly. Amazing. So they don't even take it to a lung or something and then load it onto the bloodstream. They just take the air, the atmospheric air straight to the tissues and have gas exchange go from this, the end of the line is there's a dead end on, on the tracheal system. And each, each branch goes to one piece of some aspect of the body, some area of the body. And Oxygen is diffused from that air out of the tracheole into the tissue, and then CO2 goes onto the tracheole, and then they exhale. So, and all these are in their body, their thorax, their abdomen. They don't have a spiracle in their head. So, if you tried to drown an insect by submerging its head, good luck. You're never going to drown it because he's not breathing through his mouth. Amazing. Um, he's breathing through all these holes in the body. So they don't need, they don't need blood. Well, for the same blood. reason that we do. They, need they don't blood. need it for exactly. gas exchange. They need blood for nutrients. absorbing nutrients through their, from their gut and into, and distributing it around their body. Yeah. But they don't need their blood to transport oxygen to their tissues wow. like we do. So they don't have red blood. They don't right. Have, yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, I think that's so cool. It's, um, yeah, it's so cool. Gas exchange, people. <laughs> gas exchange is really, really uh, phenomenal, whether it's plant or animals. Good stuff. All right. Yeah. Take a big, deep breath of that and fresh thank air. God, and thank God for gas exchange. Yeah. Amen. All right, Gordon. We'll see you, Will. See you next time. Thank you for listening. And remember, for all your homeschool science needs, go to noeoscience.com. That's N-O-E-O science.com.